0: Hello and welcome along to the latest edition of the RacingNews365.com Formula One podcast. My name is Michael Butterworth and as usual I'm joined by Dieter Renken, Editorial Director of Racing news 365 Dieter, welcome to the show. Now, last time out, we spoke about some of the key issues that came out of the 2022 Formula One season. This time, we're going to take a look at each of the 10 teams and discuss how well or how badly each of them performed this year. We'll start in reverse Constructors' Championship order, and that means we begin with Williams, who finished in 10th place with eight points. How do you evaluate Williams' season,
1: Dieter? Very disappointing. Very, very disappointing. I do believe that... um under the budget cap, under the new regulations, under the injection of capital from Doralton, um, I would have thought that they could have put up a better fight. Um, I think Alex Elbon um, gave of his best. I've long questioned uh, Nicholas Latifi's uh, place in Formula One. I think the number of accidents that he had sort of should have been a wake-up call. Um I look at the leadership and I'm asking, what sort of leadership? Uh, You know, Jost Capito came in and um, I believe it was a two-year contract. I'm very disappointed that he was unable to lift the team above the 10th place where it's been before. Succinctly put, uh, when Dalton bought the team, it was 10th, and it lacked uh, infrastructure facilities. Now, two, two and a half years on, it's still 10th, but they've put in an enormous amount of money <laughs> and therefore one has to question where the team is heading.
0: Yeah, and we don't know who's going to be uh, team principal at Williams uh, with uh, Jos Capito having left, FX De Maison also having left. So uh, another team, Dieter, that uh, maybe is in in need of a bit of stability that they haven't had in recent years. So uh, Williams, uh, 10th in the Constructors' Championship with just eight points. Uh, Moving up uh, one place in ninth was Alpha Tauri with 35 points. How do you feel Alpha Tauri did?
1: Very disappointing, of course. Uh, You know, I I think that Pierre Gasly uh, drove a good season, but I think he was disruptive occasionally. I think that Yuki Tsunoda, we have a similar situation to that of of Nicholas Latifi. Accident-prone. Um, unlike uh, Latifi, I think he was quicker on his day, uh, but still very accident prone, uh, and uh, still has a lot to learn. That said, AlphaTauri is a nursery school for Formula One drivers, and therefore one could almost excuse that and say, "Well, they 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 grooming him for the future," which, which is all. F- Fair and good. But ultimately, one has to turn around and question whether Yuki does actually deserve to be informed one on an overall basis or whether it's a Honda Connections that put him there. Equally, the car was, was unreliable. I believe it was also very much overweight. So all in, it was a disappointing season. And I think, unfortunately for France and his team, that ninth is about where they deserve to be this year.
0: Yeah, I, I actually think that Sonoda maybe is a little bit fortunate to still be at AlphaTauri next year because Red Bull are notoriously trigger happy. Uh, they're never afraid to pull the plug on a driver if they think that they're not good enough. There was a lot of Red Bull drivers or Red Bull linked drivers in Formula Two this year, and most of them flattered to deceive a little bit. There was nobody really standing out. And I, I wonder if one of the Red Bull juniors had won Formula Two. Maybe Tsunoda, uh would have been looking a bit nervously over his shoulders. Uh, but, of course, Gasly is off to Alpine next year. Uh, I feel like it's the right time for him to spread his wings and leave the Red Bull nest. I felt like he was stagnating a little bit. Uh, but AlphaTauri, yeah, falling from grace uh, from 6th to ninth in the constructors in 22. Uh, just one place behind Haas, who finished 8th with 37 points. How did you rate Haas this
1: year, Dieter? Um, Haas had a solid season, um, certainly a lot better than the past. However, I do believe that with a driver other than Mick Schumacher, first of all, they would have had a lot cheaper season and they would have had a a far more competitive season. And I think that their natural place was between 6th and 7th as opposed to 8th. And I think the difference was down to Mick Schumacher, who, of course, now leaves um, the grid and becomes a reserve driver for Mercedes. Um, I, I... Wish him well in that role, but I don't see Mick returning in a full-time role in the near future, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, so Nika Hulkenberg joining Haas uh, for 2023, making his uh, full-time return to Formula One alongside Kevin Magnussen, who we alluded to earlier on in the podcast, had that fantastic debut, uh, fifth place uh, for Haas in Bahrain. Uh, so has finished eighth with 37 points. Then we come to seventh place and Aston Martin, who finished with 55
1: points. How did you rate Aston's season? Again, very disappointing. I mean, let's not forget they had the, the Mercedes, um, power unit package. They, uh, come the Spanish Grand Prix had a chassis concept very similar to, to Red Bull. In fact, there were suggestions that there'd been an exchange of, of data, um, sort of under the table, so to speak. This was never proven. Um, uh, I know that Christian Horner was very, very upset. In fact, uh, in Spain, he said to me that it you know, isn't ironic that uh this car looks more than our car does, Uh and yet our sister team, AlphaTauri, looks completely different. He said if anybody was going to copy it, it would surely have been expected to be our sister team. Uh, so there was a lot of unhappiness, a lot of suspicion there, but all in, they didn't really have a particularly – Uh, a solid season. Uh, You know, Mike Crack came in fairly unexperienced in Formula 1 in recent years. He was in Formula 1, then he he played around in in, um, DTM, etc., um i hope that mac uh, mike finds his 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 feet in formula 1 they of course had the disruption of uh, sebastian Vettel announcing his retirement they also had uh, lance stroll who i don't believe was performing optimally uh, throughout the year the son of the the owner of the team the owner of when i say owner uh the top shareholder of the team and um Aston martin themselves so one has to question whether the entire thing is more a very expensive family affair or not.
0: Yeah, they did they, they did improve over the course of the season relative to the teams around them. They were languishing down in ninth place and then they had a good run of points finishes. They almost uh, pipped Alfa Romeo for sixth place in the end. They finished deadlocked on 55 points, but Alfa Romeo just got there because of uh, the fifth place that uh, Valtteri Bottas had scored early on in the season. And uh, we'll talk about Alfa now. Uh, Their the best finish in the constructors championship for for some years, Alpha or the the, the Sauber run Alpha Romeo team. Let's say, um,
1: how do you feel that uh, that they did? A season two halves. Um, you know, they did have uh, some reliability issues, and they seemed to be okay. And then they stopped scoring points after Canada as they started hitting reliability issues. Intriguingly, when I was talking to one of the technical directors in Abu Dhabi. Uh, he'd said to me that their car had been fairly overweight at the beginning of the year. When I said to him, why? Uh, could you have not made it lighter? He said, we were concerned about reliability. We were also concerned about the budget cap. And he said, so we erred on the side of caution. We made our parts a bit stronger than they should have been. We made our parts bulkier. Uh, so we had to change them less often, uh, et cetera. And um, he, de- I, he then pointed out that, Sauber had been one of the only teams on the weight limit at the beginning of the year and he said look at their reliability record and he does have a point to a degree because yes they did suffer from reliability issues mm-hmm. uh, so they, they also had some bad luck I mean at one stage um, Fred, Fred Vasseur, uh, the team principal sort of referenced um, reliability issues and Nicholas Latifi sort of pointing out that there'd been a couple of accidents which involved um, uh, the Canadian. Um, um, so they they did have some bad luck, but equally, they also had reliability issues. And I think they're very, very fortunate to ultimately pip Aston Martin. That said, let's not forget that Aston Martin had basically changed the concept with their car from the Spanish Grand Prix onwards. So uh, maybe that was Aston saving grace at the time. And um,
0: a quick word for for Joe Guanyu, the only rookie uh, on the grid or the only rookie
1: full-time on the 2022 grid. How do you think he did in his debut year? Um, I think he did very, very well. The most impressive thing was his comeback after that horrific accident in Silverstone. Um, Honestly, I think that would have frightened off lesser men. And I was very, very impressed with the way that he handled himself both immediately afterwards and at the next race in Austria. I spoke to him about it. And he did admit that he'd sort of had a couple of flutters when he got back into the car in, in Austria, which is to be expected. But the crucial thing is he overcame those flutters. I was very impressed. A lovely guy. I really enjoyed talking to him throughout the season. Um, he certainly, in my opinion, does deserve to be in Formula 1. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, again, it's just a great pity that his home fans will not see him race. And a
0: word for 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 that incident in Silverstone as well, and the the fact that the halo unquestionably saved him from from serious injury or worse, because we had a situation where the roll hoop, when he he flipped upside down, the roll hoop seemed to almost collapse. And it was only the halo that was keeping his helmet and and himself away from uh, from being scraped on the tarmac. So uh, another instance where the halo has, has saved a driver from, from at least serious injury after Roman Grosjean's terrifying crash in uh, Bahrain a couple of
1: years ago. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Well, Joe's teammate at Alpha was, of course, Valtteri Bottas, who moved over after several seasons at Mercedes. Obviously, uh, a little bit of a different environment from what he's been used to. He's had to lower his expectations somewhat, but uh, he's got that security of a three-year contract, which he's never had before, or he had at Mercedes, he was on a series of one-year deals. And he seemed to relish having that job security. And uh, how did you rate him as a team leader this this year?
1: Um, I think Valtteri really came out of the shell. I think he took on the leadership role pretty well. Uh, I think that if we look at him as a driver, as an individual, uh, he seems to be at peace with his domestic life. He um, is certainly pumped up. Uh, he is uh, a fitness fanatic. Um, I think he's done pretty well. Um, I, I don't think that that Velt- much more could have been expected from Valtteri. There were a couple of slips, but equally, I think the major reason for the lack of points was generally the, the unreliability that they had. He did occasionally uh, make some unforced errors. These are he paid the price for them, and they're unexcusable or inexcusable at, at that sort of level. But I do believe that he had a solid season. And I think it's reflected in the team's, um, in the team's position in the constructors championship and also, uh, the, um, uh, the fact that he mentored Joe all, all throughout the season. And yeah, he seems to have done a pretty good job with that.
0: Yeah. And the, the fact that he got that fifth place was the, the tiebreaker between Alpha and Aston Martin. That put Alpha in sixth place. And, uh, if, uh, the f- figures are to be believed, that's about an extra $10 million in terms of prize money. And for a team like Alpha Romeo, that's, uh, absolutely valuable as they look to uh, continue their upward momentum in 2023. But let's have a look now at the top five. And uh, in fifth place, it's McLaren, 159 points, down one place from last year. Of course, they got that famous win with Daniel Ricciardo at Monza last year. No wins this year for McLaren and just the one podium finish for Lando Norris. How did the working squad do in your eyes, Dieter?
1: Well, I think they were distracted, first of all, around the middle of the season by this whole CRB Oscar Piastri issue because obviously they had to brief uh, lawyers and they had to go to Geneva and submit documents and all sorts of things. How did they do? Uh, you know, I think that ultimately we should not forget that the team does not have its own wind tunnel. They still use a Toyota wind tunnel in Cologne. Whilst they await the building of the new one, which should have been finished by now, except that COVID, of course, stopped play for a while. So, you know, there, there are all sorts of upgrades at the factory which had been planned, which uh, would have been in place, but aren't yet in place because of the the disruption of COVID. So, I think they it was a pretty fine effort. I think. If we have a look at how close the tussle was between mclaren and um and alpine if they'd had two drivers um at the level of lando they would indeed have finished well ahead of alpine and i think that's their natural station but that unfortunately the underperforming daniel ricardo when i say underperforming the battling daniel ricardo i don't believe he underperformed uh in, in as much as he just didn't get to grips with the cars, um, and because of that, he, they paid the price. Uh, otherwise, it would have been well ahead of Alpine. And for
0: all the struggles that Ricardo had, and uh, you know, we talked about it on the podcast throughout the year, uh, the, the, the difficulties that he was having, the fact that he's leaving McLaren with one year still to go, and being replaced by Oscar Piastri, I think a, a lot in what what gets lost in a lot of this is just what a great job Lando Norris did in the other car and uh, over the 2 years that he and Ricardo have been teammates he he's really really shown up uh, the Australian even though it was Ricardo who got that win in Monza last year but uh, in my opinion Norris has absolutely been driving out of his skin at McLaren he's got that long term deal uh, in place uh, with uh, with the working squad now And I think we've got uh, certainly a a potential Grand Prix winner and perhaps even a potential future world champion
1: in the waiting there. Well, I I believe that at the moment, on present performance, a case could be made that Lando is the top-performing Brit. I know those are very, very strong words, but if we have a look at the consistency of his performances with a car which is not a top-drawer level, um, I think he's done a tremendous job. Certainly, I don't think that he could be um, left out of the top two Brits. And uh, it'll be Lando Norris leading the team next year
0: with Oscar Piastri coming in, the uh, the debutant Australian replacing Daniel Ricciardo. So uh, interesting times at McLaren next year. And of course, uh, Andreas Zeidel no longer uh, there. He's moving over to CEO at Alpha. Andreas Stella is being promoted in his stead. So this will be his first uh, team principal role. So uh, quite a bit of change at McLaren next year. Um, and it's going to be quite interesting to see how Andrea Stella and the rest of the team get on, I think, Dieter.
1: Of course. I think that that um, Andrea's appointment as team principal, I think, is, is is a step in the right direction. When I say that, not that I believe that, that uh, Andrea Seidel uh, underperformed, not at all, quite the opposite, in fact. Uh, I can see why he was offered the CEO role at, at Sauber, which, of course, will become Audi. But I do believe that Andrea does bring um, a, a very solid, calm, measured approach to it. Uh, when I was told about it just before the announcement happened, I sort of sat back and thought about it, and I said to myself, hugely experienced, massive strategic uh, and, and technical experience. Um, and above all, he's got this calm, analytic presence, which uh, is exactly what you need on the pit wall. And I think, I think it's the right appointment.
0: Well, let's move now into the top 4. It was a, a close battle between McLaren and Alpine in the race for fourth place. Ultimately, the Enstone team uh prevailed. Alpine finished fourth, 173 points. Uh how do you think they did, Dieter? Because um well, we talked about the the tug of war uh, between uh, different teams for different driver's services. Alpine were very much involved in, in one of those. Fernando Alonso unexpectedly announcing that he'd be off to Aston Martin. Oscar Piastri announcing that uh, he wouldn't be driving for Alpine. It was quite the soap opera that we had uh, just after the Hungarian Grand Prix. And uh, Alpine, I don't think, came out of this looking very good.
1: Uh, no, they didn't, Michael. Uh, but you know, to their credit, they did actually beat McLaren, even if they lost, um, off track to McLaren and the CRB with Oscar Piastri. Uh, they lost off track with the defection of, uh, Fernando Alonso to, to Aston Martin for next year. Um, they have got themselves Pierre Gasly. Uh, it appears as though they are to coin a phrase. They could be looking at Frenchifying the, um, uh, the team. Uh, you know, we do have an increasing French, uh, influence there, I believe. Uh, nothing wrong with that. Of course, uh, Ferrari's got the Italian influence. Um, but with, it remains to be seen whether that is going to work for them next year. Let's not forget they do face a McLaren team that's, uh, under new leadership with Stella, with, um, Piastri in the, in the second car. So it will be fascinating to see the dynamic between those two teams. Uh, but all in, I think that, as I said earlier on, I think that Alpine were fortunate to salvage fourth place, uh, and really, they've got to thank uh, Daniel Ricciardo for that, because had he been performing at the sort of level that we'd seen him perform in the past at Red Bull, at Renault, etc., I don't think they would have finished fourth.
0: Yeah, we've got uh, F1's first all French driver lineup since 1994 next year talking about the the French-ify, Frenchification of uh, of of Alpine. So we've got uh, Pierre Gasly coming alongside Esteban Ocon. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how Alpine do next year if they can maintain that momentum that they've had this year. But we move now into the top 3 and uh, Mercedes uh, in uh, unfamiliar waters there, We've, we're used to seeing Mercedes winning the Constructors' Championship uh, for seven years in a row. Down in third place this year, 515 points. But uh, given how far off how far off the pace they were at the start of the season, I think the fact that they came so close to Ferrari in second shows that just how much they managed to develop that car and they managed to get on top of the porpoising and bouncing issues that they had over the course of the year.
1: Uh, they did, but I think that, uh, you know, so they should, uh, you know, we're talking about Mercedes and we and I do believe that under a different, uh, budget cap, uh, situation, in other words, without a budget cap, I think they would have probably changed concept mid-season or thereabouts. Uh, so they, that was one of the, um, the impacts of the, of the budget cap, certainly on Mercedes. Um, I was, n- I say, not really surprised. The word in the paddock last year was that somebody will get caught out by the new regulations because they were so different. We did not know who it was, but I was not surprised that a team was caught out by the new regulations. And in this particular case, it happened to be Mercedes. We have that all the way through. Whenever we've had big regulation changes, somebody always comes off worse than than, than the other teams. Uh, In this case, it was them. To their credit, they got their heads down. They worked very, very hard. Um, I got to Lewis Hamilton occasionally. George Russell, um, I think, kept his morale high. It paid off in in Brazil. Um, I'm pleased for the team that they managed to salvage a Grand Prix victory because can you imagine, had they not, they would have been in the same sort of uh category as ferrari in years past when they didn't win win at least one race so from 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 that perspective uh you know i think they did um they salvaged the best they could out of a car that was hardly the best that it could have been
0: and uh, in the end 515 points just uh 39 points behind ferrari who finished second uh, it looked, as we said earlier on in the in the podcast, Dieter, it looked as if after three races, we might have a real title battle on our hands here. Ferrari and Charles Leclerc seized the initiative in both uh, title races, but that was pretty much as good as it got. It started to fall away once Red Bull got their act together. There were several operational issues at Ferrari. A, a very, very complicated uh, uh, season and a very complicated team to evaluate uh, in a hurry, Dieter. But uh, uh, how do you
1: feel Ferrari did in 2022? Um, car good, drivers good, strategy terrible, I think in a nutshell. Um, I think with different strategies, uh, they could have given Red Bull a lot closer run for their money. Uh, they did suffer some unreliability issues. Yes, they did. Uh, but even with those, I believe they could probably have taken the fight all the way down to uh, Brazil had it not been for the strategic blunders. And frankly, that should have been the change that Ferrari affected, not the um, not the resignation of uh, Mattia Bonotto, which effectively was forced by this, this whole situation.
0: And talking about Charles Leclerc, because he was the one who looked like he was going to be leading the title charge for Ferrari this year. There, there were unforced errors. He had that spin in Imola where he dropped from third to sixth. He spun out of the lead in Paul Ricard. It's not the first time that we've seen Leclerc making unforced errors. If you think back to Baku a few years ago, I am stupid when he hits the wall uh, in qualifying in Monaco last year. And then that obviously ruined his chance of, of fighting for victory in the race the following day. He also fell off the road in uh, in Sakir at the first corner in 2020. Does he make too many mistakes to be a potential world champion?
1: Uh, he does, but I think that ultimately this happens when he's under pressure. And, uh, you know, if, if he didn't have to make up time because of strategy errors, etc., I think he would have had a far cleaner run throughout the year. Ultimately, you know, a driver can only salvage the best result based on his skill, his car, and his team. And if one of those three factors is not there, His life becomes very, very difficult. We've seen it in the past as well with Max that, you know, if the, if the, the car wasn't performing up to the level that it should, basically at one stage because of the, the Honda engine power, at another time because of the Renault power. Uh, when that happens, Max has also made mistakes. Ultimately, drivers try and salvage the best they can under the circumstances. And occasionally they will make those sort of mistakes. Um, of course, Charles paid the price for it. Um, But I still don't believe that he would have beaten Max uh, to the championship this year. I think Max was just head and shoulders above. Well,
0: let's talk about Max and Red Bull now, because obviously uh, first in the Constructors' Championship, 759 points. So uh, 205 points clear of Ferrari. Very, very convincing in the end. And uh, it, it was, for me, Dieter, a case of... A team that made mistakes operationally like Ferrari did, and a team that didn't, like Red Bull. We we've seen uh you know, every strategic decision they made was very, very clear, very, very decisive. And uh I don't think it's a coincidence that we have had a situation there where Christian Horn has been there since two thousand and five. Adrian Newey's been there for a long time, Helmut Marco's been there for a long time. That success goes hand in hand with that stability that uh, that Red Bull have.
1: Absolutely, but I think there's another factor as well to add to those very, very good points that you make, Michael, and that is the fact that during the past few lean years, going back to 2014, all the way through to about 2020, uh, Christian Horner ensured that the team remained race-sharp, and basically he he drummed into them that the only way we can win is to have the best strategies, to have the best pit stops, etc., And he said to them, look, we're not going to win on merit. We don't have the engine power, the car, the whatever it was. We don't have it. Therefore, the only way we can win is to make up by having the best in other areas. And what they've been able to do is retain the best in these other areas and now mix them with a driver who, frankly, I believe, is driving at the top of his game. We may not have seen peak max yet, but I don't think we're far off peak max. Um, and they patently had the best car, both aerodynamically and from a Honda bulletproof perspective. And when you take those two factors and add in strategic and, and pit stop, um, I, well, I won't say supremacy, but certainly uh, top drawer stuff, you have a team that can't help winning. It's that simple. And that's exactly what happened this year. Well, Dieter, uh, we've gone through uh,
0: quite an extensive deep dive into the 2022 season. And as ever, once again, I must say thank you very much for your insights and uh, for all the news and views and analysis that you've brought us from the F1 paddock in the 2022 seasons. It's been a fantastic year, and uh, I hope that 2023 is as full of suspense and intrigue and stories up and down the pit
1: lane as we've seen this year. Absolutely. I have every every uh, confidence that we will have... A uh, sparkling 2023, but I hope our listeners, readers, have an even more sparkling festive season, and I look forward to next year. And if you'd like to hear more of Dieter's insights, you can follow him on
0: Twitter at Lines. and for the latest F1 news, views, and analysis, head straight to RacingNews365.com. That's it for this edition of the RacingNews365.com Formula One podcast, and that's it for 2022. On behalf of everyone at RacingNews365, we wish you a very happy new year, and we'll be back with you in 2023.